0: God, wow, we just trust that you are here and that you're ready to address us and that you want to address us and that you love us and that you want to speak to us. And so I pray for the variety of life that is represented in this room. God, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us individually and uh, and to us together corporately and that your word would pierce our very hearts and move us into action and move us into repentance, and move us into confession. God, we know that your, your, your power is what is necessary for us to obey you, and so we ask for that power this morning, and we love you, and we're grateful for you. We say all these things in your wonderful and perfect name, Christ. Amen. We're in week five of a series called Party Like a Rabbi. And if anyone here is like, "What what is that? <laughs> It's been a really incredible teaching series, where we've been examining and studying the Jewish festivals in the Old Testament, and how each one of them paves the way for the coming Messiah, Jesus. And it's really cool, because I, I really love this message series, because I've, I've interacted with a lot of people who sometimes get confused, like, well, I, you know, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they seem a little different, Luke. It seems like his mood kind of changes. And what we see in the study of these Jewish festivals is each one of these festivals paves the driveway, if you will, that leads to the cross. Each one of these festivals is about Jesus. You know, the Jewish nation, the, the Hebrew people would have these festivals to celebrate or memorialize all that, had, all that God had done in and for their nation in their community. They would celebrate the exodus from from uh, slavery in in Egypt. They, They would celebrate the provision from God in the wilderness years, their 40 years of wandering. All of them commemorate something about what God had done for them, how God had provided for them, God's favor for them. All these festivals are a picture of grace that God has for the Hebrew people. And so if anyone here gets... If you just answered the question like, hey, what's party like a rabbi about? If you said Jesus, you would get the answer right. It's like a Sunday school answer, right? Like Jesus, like you got it right. Good job. Like that's the right answer. All of this is about the rabbi, the rabbi Jesus. And so my hope and prayer is that you, you just like drink that up and Absorb that this morning because we're going to get into the next festival. And I'm really excited. I'm just, I feel like God has just prepared our church for this morning's festivals here at hand. And so would you just open up your Bibles with me to Leviticus 23. And we're going to examine the festival of trumpets. And this, this festival was a brief festival that inaugurated a 10-day span that led to a very special ceremony called the Day of Atonement. And so at one hand, we've got the festival of the trumpets, but on the other hand, it leads directly and connected to the Day of Atonement. And so I'll be reading from Leviticus 23. It'll be on the screen, or you can power your Bible on. And this is the Word of God. This is what it says, starting in Leviticus 23, 23. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly, commemorated with trumpet blasts, Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Okay, so right now what we see is that there's trumpet blasts inaugurating this 10-day span that leads to the Day of Atonement. Verse 26, The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day. Because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God, those who do not deny themselves on the day must be cut off from their people. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall, do not, you shall not do any work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. My, my hope and prayer this morning is that you hear from God, and He moves you into a space of, of response. So I'm just, I'm just going to give you a disclaimer. If you hear something this morning... Where where you want to respond immediately. And my prayer is that you do. I I want to give you, I want to encourage you to get up in the middle of the service during the sermon and just go into the prayer room and receive prayer. You're not going to distract anyone, it's not going to distract me. My prayer is that the second you feel like the Holy Spirit has prompted you to respond to Him, that you would just walk into the prayer room and receive prayer. It's not going to bother anybody. Because I anticipate a lot of what God's word says today is going to confront you. And it's going to force you to address some things in your life. God, I pray that that would be the case this morning. I pray that your word would move us into action and move us into experiencing you and move us into responding to you. I pray for nothing less than that, Christ. Amen. Why the trumpets? Let's just be really honest. I have no problem with brass instruments until I hear them. (laughs) There's something about a brass instrument that makes... I want to plug my ears. I, I, there, no offense meant to anyone in here who plays a trumpet or a trombone or you know a tuba. It's, it's all good. It's, there's something about a trumpet. I think I hear a trumpet like once a year. It's around Christmas time. It has to do with a carol, and that's cool. But let's just be honest. When you hear a trumpet, it gets your attention. Does it not? It gets your attention because many people don't play the trumpet. Usually people play other instruments, and, and that's cool. But there's something about... God wanting these trumpet blasts to inaugurate this 10-day span that leads to the Day of Atonement. Trumpets get people's attention, and God really, really wanted to get the Hebrew nation's attention. He wanted their attention, all of their attention, undivided attention. Because when God is about to do something, a great work for a people, he deserves and gets and demands the focus. Why no work? The passage says, do not do any work. As a matter of fact, God said, if you do any work, you're out. That's pretty harsh. Why would He be so severe about don't do any work in that 10 day span, that 10 day period from the trumpet blast to the Day of Atonement? Because let's be honest, we're a working people, are we not? We love to work. Many of us in here are workaholics. And there's something about God's work where he says, if you work, you will minimize and marginalize the work I'm about to do. So don't work. Because my work is on display here. My work is about to be seen and done. So that's what God's up to right now. God's saying, hey, there's going to be trumpet blasts. It's going to get your attention. Don't do any work. As a matter of fact, the only thing I want you to do is have a Sabbath rest. Because the Day of Atonement, this very complex and complicated and special ceremony to atone for Israel's transgressions and sins from the previous year was about to take place. So guess what Israel would do? They would take stock of their lives. Each one of them would have ten days to reflect and meditate on all of the transgressions, all of the sin committed in that year, so that they would communicate it to the priests, and ultimately the priest to Aaron, the great high priest, so Aaron would take care of it in the Day of Atonement. I mean, I'm talking about every attitude. I'm talking about every eye rolled, every micro, you know, disagreement with your spouse, every internet search, every hangover, every unethical business decision, everything that the Hebrew nation did in that year they had 10 days, an opportunity to sit, reflect, and meditate. All right, got to make sure I've got everything ready because I've got a lot of stuff that has happened this year in my soul and in my mind that i got to make sure I communicate to my priest so that it's taken care of, so it's atoned for, so it's covered up. You know, we actually have a version of this in the you know, 2019 Starbucks drinking SUV driving Christian culture that we live in. And I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and the question goes something like this How's your relationship with Jesus? We just kind of sanitize it, right? How's your relationship with Jesus? Is it at peace or is it falling to pieces? Is it at peace? Is it thriving? Is it good? Is it whole? Is it good? Or is it crumbling? Is it under stress? Is it under strain? Is it falling to pieces? And for 10 days, the Hebrew nation had an opportunity to reflect on that. How is my relationship with God? What are the things that I continue to do, or say, or think, or behave in a way that are contrary to the nature of God and contrary to His Word? Because they had an opportunity; they had ten days to reflect on it. Because they had to get it all out; they had to to confess it all to their priests. And the Day of Atonement—the ten days that led up to that—that Day of Atonement—that was a big, big deal for Israel. That was their opportunity for all of those transgressions, all of that sin to be atoned for and covered up. And don't let that word sin scare you. Sin literally means, in the Hebrew, it means miss the mark. All of the ways that the Hebrew nation missed the mark, they would have an opportunity to reflect on those things. And so the day of atonement would come, and guess what would happen? This man, his name was Aaron. He was the great high priest of Israel. And his job, it was complex, a little mysterious, and a little, kind of weird. His job was to strip down and take a bath. And then he would put on these new garments, these fresh new garments with a sash on his waist and a turban on his head. And he would take from the Israelite Hebrew nation three animals. He would take a bull for himself and then two goats. Now in Hebrew culture, that bull was a little bit more expensive and so it was reflective of a leader. And so what they would do is the bull was actually for Aaron. And so Aaron would take that bull to Day of Atonement and he would sacrifice the bull for Aaron's sins, for Aaron's transgressions, for all the ways that Aaron missed the mark. And he would take and he would put his fingers in the blood and he would take the fingers and he'd sprinkle the blood of the bull on the mercy seat and on the veil, the curtains around the tent of meeting. He would, he would, in, the, in that great high holy place, he'd sprinkle the blood as, as a symbolic way of cleansing the environment that sin had affected. Because sin doesn't just affect the person or the person sinned against. It affects the environment around that person. That's the power of the disease of sin. And so what he would do is he would take that blood and he'd sprinkle it on everything around the tent, everything on the mercy seat, so the whole environment would be cleansed on his behalf. And then he would take two goats and he would cast lots for these two goats, which is just an ancient way of a coin toss or drawing straws which really stinks for the goats because one of the lives depends on a coin toss, but he had two goats, and he would cast lots, and the one who lost, he would take that goat and he would sacrifice it on the altar for the sins of the Hebrew nation on their behalf so that their sins would be atoned for and covered up. And again, he would take the blood and his fingertips and he'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat and sprinkle it on the tent and the veil and the curtain so that the environment would be cleansed. And he and he would do that, and and the, the Israel's, Israel's uh, sin would be covered up. But then there was that last goat. Remember, there was two goats. Then there was this last goat. And it was alive. This is the craziest thing ever. He would sacri- he would atone for Israel's sin again with this second goat. But this time he didn't kill it. This time he did something entirely different. He took his hands, and he placed his hands on the goat's head. And I have a goat here this morning. You can bring out the goat. I'm just kidding. We don't have another goat. <laughs> We've already done that. So the goat was, and he'd place his hands on the goat's head, and he would confess all of the sins and transgressions, all of the ways that the Israelite community had missed the mark. He'd, he'd confess all of it on to the goat's head. So that now of all of the weight that was on Israel's shoulders that sin created is now on the goat. I mean, it's crazy. Look, look at the scriptures. It's in Leviticus 16 this is how the atonement ceremony actually went down, starting in verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the high holy place, remember that was where he was sprinkling the blood, in the tent of meeting and at the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. Remember the one who stayed alive. He is to lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all of the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, not a portion, not 50%, not 99%, but all of their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed the task. The goat will carry on itself all of their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Here is where I want to speak to you. Whether you are a follower of Jesus And you have been for some time, or you're a guest this morning, wondering why I come to church in the snow. And we're so glad you're here. We don't believe there's any coincidences in the kingdom of God you're here on purpose. Let me just say this about this passage. Many of us, whether you are brand new to the faith or been walking with Jesus forever, many, many people don't mind being the GOAT. Many people don't mind carrying the weight of the sin. And I've I've been doing church work long enough now to realize and know the people I interact with on a daily and weekly basis, they've got a lot of stuff in their lives that they just shove down and that weight is on their shoulders and they're willing to carry that weight. They're willing to walk around in life as the goat, the one who carries the weight with them wherever they go. but that is, not, that is not what God has called us to. That is not what God has called you for, but it speaks to a human condition that exists in our souls. And I will ask you this question, because I've seen it over and over again. Do you prefer, do you prefer the comfort of known misery to the discomfort of unknown freedom? Do you prefer the comfort of known misery to the discomfort of unknown freedom. Let me unpack that for a second. Do you prefer not to deal with it? Luke, I've, I've had too much done to me. I've done too much. I don't want to deal with it. I'm okay walking around with that weight. I've been carrying that weight since I was a kid. Oh, that sin that was committed against me, that, that was when I was 10 years old. I've been carrying it ever since. I'm used to the weight. Oh, that sin that I got myself into, that that thing that I missed the mark on, I've been doing that since I was 19 years old. And I'm 40 now. I've been carrying that weight for a long time. I'm used to the weight. I'm used to the weight. I'm used to being bogged down. I'm used to having to limp around. I'm used to just getting by. I'm used to being the goat. And I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean the one... (laughs) who bears the weight. But here's the thing, number one, church, here's the thing. You were not designed to bear the weight of unconfessed sin. You weren't designed for it. You literally cannot handle it. Your body cannot handle it. My uh, daughter is 15 months old, and she's the love of my life, and she's so cute, and everyone dotes on her, and you can too if you want later, and she's just the best and when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant, I just had this resolution. I'm like, I am not going to have a dad bod. I'm just not going to have it. Because it was my first time you know, having a kid. And so I just decided I'm going to start lifting. I was going to get into lifting, so my wife, she's great, she got me a, you know, a used bench press off Craigslist and got it for me for Christmas a couple Christmases ago, and I've been lifting, it's been a lot of fun, and basically I don't know anything about lifting, and clearly it's not done me much good, but I, I love lifting, it's, you know I've got all these friends around me that eat right, that lift, I'm always asking for like, hey, show me that movement, hey, what should my reps be like, and hey, how much weight should I be lifting, and it's been great. And a week ago yesterday, I was in my basement, doing my thing. Right, plug in some worship music and turn it up and get the weight out and start, you know, getting pumped, right? Getting swole, I think, is what gym rats say. And I, I really enjoy it. And so and for, for any of you in here that are gym rats are like, this guy's an idiot. That's fine. You can judge me. But if any of you that have never lifted more than a pencil, this is what a, uh, a squat is. So a squat is a movement, right? It's a movement in weightlifting where you, you, you squat, but I did it with weight. And so I had a bar and I had weight on the end of the bar. And I would squat down, right? And I'd pick it up, put it on my chest. And then I'd get it over my head like this. And I'd get it on my shoulders. And then I would oh, I'd squat. And I would do that like a dozen times. And I'd feel really good about myself. And my legs would burn. And then I'd put it back down. I'm like, wow. But when I did that on Saturday night, I'd put it back down. I'd go, oh, wow. i ah, it hurt really bad. Something in my foot really hurt. It probably was because I wasn't wearing any shoes but that's besides the point, and I will never ever lift without wearing shoes again, but my point in that is that my body, my physical body could not bear the weight of that on my shoulders, and I got injured. I may have gotten injured with shoes on, I don't know. I say that for one reason. Your spiritual self, all of you that is not material matter, all of you that is not physical matter, and there's a lot of you that's not physical, a lot of you that's not material, all of that spiritual part of who you are is not designed to carry the weight of unconfessed sin. It'll literally buckle you. It will literally break you down. It will slow you down. It will crush you. You weren't designed for it. Number two, you were designed to run in freedom. Not bogged down by unnecessary weight. You were designed to run in freedom. You see, God designed you on purpose to run in freedom with Him at His pace, and He always meets you in your pace. But can can you imagine, can you imagine if you had this like weightlessness about who you were, you weren't bogged down by the weight of unconfessed sin, you weren't bogged down by the, the weight of things been done to you or things that you've been done that you've never addressed before in your life? Like, does God use broken people? Absolutely. All of the time, God looks for availability, not necessarily ability. But what I've come to know is that broken people typically have understood and acknowledged their need to get the weight off of them. To get it off. And so many Christians and so many people are just willing to be the goat, are willing to carry around that weight, have no problem with it. You prefer the comfort of known misery. It's all you know, it's the only the thing that you're familiar with. But that is not what God has for you. God wants you to run in freedom. God craves for you to experience the weightlessness that comes from Christ. So number three is that you are one confession away from that weight evaporating. You are just one confession away from that weight evaporating. Look at what James 5.16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know what I don't hear in that passage? I don't hear God saying, if you confess your sins, you're going to feel a lot of shame and you're going to get shamed and I'm going to shame you and you're going to have all this guilt problem now. No, that's what the enemy says. You see, this is what the enemy says. Because you did that, because because you cheated on your taxes, because you cheated on your spouse, because of the internet searches, because of the hangovers. Shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. But you know what God says in the voice of Christ? He whispers, shame off you. Shame off you, shame off you. And that is the weightlessness that God wants you to experience. The shame off of you. Confession is freedom. Freedom. Confession is freedom. James 5:16 says is that when you confess that weight that you've not addressed, that's when the healing wave washes over your soul. That's when the healing wave washes over your mind. And that's when healing can begin. God will only heal what you offer to him. If you protect it, he is a gentleman. He will not force you to give it to him. You have to offer it to him voluntarily. And the thing that keeps us from offering that voluntarily is the fear of other people's responses. Luke, I can't handle the fear that I have of telling my children about my hangovers. I can't handle the fear of telling my wife about the secret phone calls. I can't handle the fear of telling anyone about my past, about my habit, about my secret that I protect so dearly. I just can't handle it. But the people that I've confessed stuff to, the people I've had confessed stuff to me, the only thing that happens is my respect level for that person goes up. That's it. Fear is from the enemy. Freedom is from God. Let that sink in. If you feel like shame is coming your way, it's because the enemy is whispering lies in your ear. It's actually, he's shouting lies in your ear. But the Holy Spirit in Christ's voice says, nope, nope, shame off you, shame off you. Confession leads to freedom. Here's the beautiful thing. Everyone, listen to me. Here's the beautiful thing. You and I, we no longer need Aaron. We don't need anyone to intercede on our behalf. Aaron is no longer a role that is filled by Aaron. Look at Hebrews 4.14 for a moment here. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. So basically, Christ knows what you're going through. He understands what's happening in your world. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But here's the thing, everyone. We are always in need. We are always in need. It's just that sometimes we're in need a little bit more than other times. (laughs) Sometimes it's amplified and there's a big old highlighter on it and an exclamation point. I'm in need, but we're always in need. We're always in need of the grace and the forgiveness and the freedom that Christ offers to us. Remember, it's an offer. He's not going to force it on you. That's what separates our king and our God from any other kind of belief system in the world is that he is a gentleman. And he will only heal and only interact with you to the level that you offered it up to him. But he will pursue you because he loves you. He loves you. No longer do we need Aaron. And here's, here, here's a beautiful picture. No longer do we need the day of atonement. Look at, here, look at Romans 3 here for a moment. Romans 3 says this. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented, presented Christ as a sacrifice of what? Atonement. Through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time. So as to just to be just and the one who justifies those have faith in Jesus. Church, Christ is your Aaron, and Christ is your scapegoat. He does all of the work of dealing with sin, all of the ways that we've missed the mark. He deals with it. And then he takes that off of us and then takes it away from us as our scapegoat. Remember, the scapegoat would run away, run away into the into the wilderness to be lost and then eventually die. He does the work of taking the sin off of us and does the work of taking the sin away from us. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal. I don't want to miss. (laughs) That's why this is such brilliant and beautiful good news. That's why the gospel, evangelion, news of victory is so good. Is because all of the work was done for you. And our role in it is to respond in faith. That's it. Our role in it is to respond in obedience. And I know that for many of you in here, that's like, Luke, that's a really big step for me. That's a big old chasm that I would have to leap over. But I can tell you right now, the thing that's keeping you from confessing unconfessed sin, that weight, the stuff that you've stored up over a year, the stuff that for 10 days the Hebrew nation had an opportunity to take stock of, to be ready to confess, all of that stuff, it's weighing you down. And it might be the thing that's keeping you far from God. Because you tell yourself, I don't deserve God's love. But God's love isn't in a deserved transactional basis. He just offers it to us freely. And it's ours for the taking. And I've been hyper aware in the last month or two of just how everybody is going through something. Everyone is going through something. Everyone has a pain point in their life. Everyone either has had a secret they've protected in the past or currently has a secret they're protecting right now, and God wants to break that secret open and break that weight open and take that weight off of you so that you would run freely in his grace. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like if you had this weightlessness about you every single day because the weight that you've stored up in your soul and your spirit has been handed off under the scapegoat? And so God, in this pensive moment of prayer, I ask you right now, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you touch someone's heart and bring them to a place of, yes, I want this weight off of me. Would they respond in obedience and with courage just walk over to the prayer room and tell someone, this is the weight I have been carrying for a lifetime. I cannot carry it any longer. And free them from that weight. And Christ, for the one who's in this room, who is far from you, who's not even sure if they believe in you, God, would you just pierce their hearts right now and bring them to a place where they're ready to respond to you. And if that is you, brother or sister, listen, you can repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to if you don't want to, but if you want to, just simply say, God, I don't know you, but I want to know you. And this weight I'm carrying is too much. And it sounds like you do all the work of taking the sin off of me and then taking it away from me. I want to run weightlessness. I want to run in freedom. And so I trust you. I put my faith in you for the very first time. And if you said that prayer, I would encourage you to pray, or excuse me, um, mark it on a Connect card so that we can follow up with you later in the week. And God, would you just show that person or persons what it means to get involved in their local church and, and be discipled and be sent out on mission? And God, would you do that powerful work? And for the brother or sister in here who's, who has been walking with Christ for a long time, God, I pray that right now you'd bring them to a place of confession, a discipline that's lost in our culture, where they would. Retire the fear that comes from confession and understand that that's from the enemy. The enemy says shame on you, but you say shame off us, and we trust that, and so we we pray right now that we'd have the courage to get the weight off of us. Jesus, thank you for being our scapegoat. Thank you for being our Aaron. We love you so dearly. We pray all these things in your powerful and wonderful name, Christ. Together we said amen.